Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. You know, I'm convinced that we, we fail to realize how powerful we are. Because our words are powerful. And the words that come out of our mouth, they're powerful. The words that are said to us, the words that are said about us, and the words that are said over us are powerful. In fact, a lot of the confidences you have in life were bolstered because of words said to you, words said over you, and words said about you. Some of the insecurities that you carry to this day were not necessarily born because of words, but they were accented. They were kind of chiseled in your heart, in your psyche. You still carry those insecurities because of words said to you, about you, or over you. Words are powerful. That's why careless words that we say sometimes are so incredibly dangerous. Because we say them just carelessly. They come off our lips so quickly or we hit uh, enter and post them uh, in that moment. And, they're just, and we forget about them, but we don't understand how powerful words are. And there's somebody, those, those words went into their life and they still carry the effects of them to this day. Because words are powerful and because we all have the ability to create and broadcast words, our lives are powerful for that reason. And that's why in this series, we've been looking at our big fat mouths. We've been looking at the words that come out, words we say, we write, we post. And throughout this series, we've had that, that little phrase come up over and over, which is, uh, when it comes to our words, we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Early in listening and late in speaking. Last week we looked at James, and James just kind of bluntly said, he said a lot about words. And he bluntly said, this, the thing about the words that come out of your mouth, you, they're so unpredictable, you will never get at a place of maturity in your life where there is no longer the threat of you saying words that are not only inappropriate or sarcastic, demeaning, words that wound other people. You never get to a place where you're just beyond that. There are always the, the wrong words, the hurtful words, the painful words are always there ready to charge the gates of your mouth to go out and implant themselves in the life of other people. You never get beyond that. And he just says, this should not be. And then he just ends. He just switches the subject. He's just kind of doom and gloom kind of thing. This is just, it's like he just says, this is going to be a struggle all our lives. And he just ends it right there. Today we're going to kind of shift from that. We're going to look at Paul, because Paul has a lot to say about words as well. But Paul kind of gives us a, a, a path forward, something to turn to, to look at, to work on, so to, to improve the words that come out of our mouth. Though it's true, there just always is that potential, and that's even why more so we should be intentional about the words that come out of our mouth and working on what creates good words. Encouraging words, life-giving words, speak life, speak life, speak life. Life-giving words to the people that are around us and to ourselves. And the words that we say to people, about people, and over people. And we're going to look at, at Paul's words, because he does give us that, that great way forward. Now, the, 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 it comes out of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and I encourage you to go there. Now, one thing you've got to know about several of the writings of the Scripture, and early Christianities, New Testament. You know, Christianity started as kind of being birthed out of, of Judaism. And in the, in the first 
people that really kind of the wave that came to Christianity were Jews. And the reason is there was a foundation there. Because as Christians and Jews, we, we embrace the same God. We, we understand the same truth. We both believe there's a Messiah. Those who are in Christ believe Jesus was that Messiah. And the Jews of the days that did not, they just missed the Messiah. But there's so much. We, we, we hold so much truth in what is right together. And so there's just that common ground. And so, so many people came to Christ out of the Jewish faith because there was that, that foundation of understanding that's common in them. But the book of Ephesus was written to a church. It was a letter written to a church in the city of Ephesus. E- Ephesus was not a Jewish city, and the converts here, the new Christians here in this church, were not former Jews. Ephesus was a Greek city, a city of, of, of Greek influence and Roman influence. The dominant culture in Ephesus was polytheistic. Many gods. There's not one god that's out there. There's not one father. There are many gods. They had gods for all different kinds of things. And those gods had children. They became gods. And so there's all these kinds of gods. And you spent your whole life trying to keep the gods happy. And you also spent your life trying to get as much wealth and power in your life and cause, to get as much as you can to cause people to be fearful of you because there was the goal to become a god yourself. That was attainable in the Greek culture. That was the culture of Ephesus. So what happened is it just created this very self-centered, self-focused attitude and culture. It's all about you and getting what you can get as much power and wealth and influence and making yourself where people are fearful of you so that you could be, if not a God, you could be God-like. So every man was kind of for themselves. The strongest, the wealthiest, the more powerful were in control of everything. The, it was morally corrupt culture because the gods didn't have any standard, didn't care what you did morally. In fact, the stories of the gods, they were incredibly immoral. And so if gods can be immoral, why can't we? And so there was no moral standards. The moral corruption was pervasive. Women, children, the weak, the poor were all vulnerable. And there was no one standing up for them. There was no one looking out for their behalf. And that is the, the people that... that in the Ephesus church, that's what they came out of. That's what they knew. That's what they grew up in. That was normal to them. And so it is a radical change for them versus the change of someone who lived in the Jewish faith and came into Christianity. The change was somewhat radical in that we're saying that Jesus is this Messiah and that it's not a physical kingdom but a spiritual. Now, that's radical change, but it's not as a radical change because there's so much shared foundation. But for the Christians in Ephesus, it's just totally radically different. And so Paul begins to speak to them. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to get to it. But out of our story of them and his, uh, his challenging of them, we're going to get to a, a word, a way forward for us to work on making sure that our words are life-giving and we're speaking life to people. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse number 17. It says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's talking about everybody else that's around them. They're everybody else they know. They're everybody else in their culture, Gentiles. They weren't Jews. Is, is that Greek culture. He says, listen, listen. Here's what I tell you. And now listen, I'm insisting on this. He knows the temptation is to fall back. That you must no longer live like they did, like you used to live. You're not one of them anymore. I know that's the culture you grew up in. I know that's what everything you knew for all your life. But now the gospel has pierced your soul and you have been radically changed. 
And you know what is right and true. And you are to continue to be moving forward in that, though it means swimming against the current of the entire culture that is around you every single day. Because you know who you are, and you keep moving in that direction. And then he says something that sounds a little offensive, but he doesn't mean for it to be. Verse 18 says, They, talking about everybody else out there, in Ephesus, around them, says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What he's saying is this. The people in Ephesus that you know, you grow up in, the, the, everyone that surrounds you, listen, they don't know what you know now. They can't see what you see. They don't understand what you, what you understand. They're living by their, their darkened understanding. You see, the gospel hasn't pierced them. God has not awakened their eyes, and they don't see what you see. You see who God is. You see what truth is. You know what is right now. So they are in their ignorance because they can't see what you see. They live like they live. But you can see what is true and right and righteous and good. You can see it because the gospel has opened up your mind and your heart to it. So you live according to what you know. Don't go out there and try to be like people who don't understand what is true and right and good. You know more. So live like you know more. Verse 19, he keeps going on. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Again, he's just highlighting the culture that's around them. It's a very paganistic culture. He says they give themselves over to sensuality. There was no morality, no ethics. He says that they are full of greed. Why? Because it was all self-centered. It was all about me, me getting as much power and much influence and much wealth so that I could kind of lord it over people because the goal is to either be God or be like a God in people's eyes with the power and authority. And so what it meant is if you're poor, just too bad. Your life has no value in this culture. Women had no value in this culture. If you were weak, you had no value in this. It's just too bad. No one's looking out for you. No one's taking care of you. No one's standing up for you because it was all about the power and the wealth and the greed. and It was all about everybody lording over everybody else to the best they can. So that's how they live. That's not you. It's not who you are now, and you know it, and you've got to live like who you are now, not like everyone else or like who you used to be. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. That is not what God has called you to. And you know better. And as a result, live better. You know, a little note on the side here. This is why everyone, whether you are a Christian or not, should have a sense of gratefulness to early Christianity and the apostles of the Scripture. And that's not politically correct today. You know, the, today you, you, in the public, in the marketplace, you would think the church and Christianity is a threat. You know, coaches, I just keep reading co- after a coach, where a coach, if he goes out and prays on his own by himself, somewhere near where somebody can see at a football game, they'll get the school district gets letters and everything. There's just this kind of PC thing that it's not. But I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Even if you're not a Christian, you should have a sense of gratefulness for early Christianity and the apostles, and I'll tell you why that is. 
they were the ones pushing for the things that you and I just assume in our culture. They were the ones that when it was not normal, when it was not popular, when it was not the way, when, it, when there was nobody saying this is how life should be done, they were the ones saying this is life, how, how life should be done. Individual rights? And that's, a, that's a cornerstone of Civilization Day, that the individual matters. That wasn't a cornerstone back then. But it was the apostles standing up and saying, don't live like that. Individuals matter. They're just as important as every other person. They are the ones saying women are equal in the eyes of God and everybody else. When no one was saying that, it was the apostles. It was Christianity that was standing up and saying that. They were saying that the poor and the vulnerable are just as valuable as important as the wealthy. Nobody was saying that, but the apostles were. They were the ones saying that who needs to be held, who needs to hand reached out to them are those who are hurting and needy and those who are innocent, vulnerable. No one, everyone was power to the might. You try to get as much as you can and step on as many people as you can, and you just mistreated anyone that couldn't advance you. That was the norm and culture that day, but it was not what the apostles were saying what should be right. And so they were standing up. There was no moral standard back then to make life decent for themselves and their children, but it was the apostles standing up and saying there needs to be a moral standard here. In fact, I'll say this today that the dignity of the individual that is the dignity of the individual is most prevalent today in the cultures and in the countries that had in their beginning a strong christian influence look around the world and you'll find that that the dignity of the individual is most prevalent today in the cultures and in the countries that had in their beginning a strong Christian influence. And in Paul's day, that wasn't the case. And Christians stood up when it wasn't easy and wasn't difficult, and they said, these are the things that should matter, and they're things that you and I today, Christian, non-Christian alike, in, in, in what we call civilized cultures, it's the things that we think, are, and the things we just assume are right. And because of that, we owe a debt to people like Paul and the apostles and early Christianity because they are the ones that began to fuse it into culture when it was extremely unpopular. And so he's challenging them with that. He's challenging them with that. And in verse 22, he says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The word that's translated to put off your old self is the word that was used to refer to taking off a coat. He's saying that all that way you used to live, that very self-centered way, that very, it's, uh, it's all about might and what you can get and you, 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 and you, you're, you're, you're the vulnerable and the hurting, you just discarded. That's, that's how you used to live. That's, and you've got to take that off because it's not what the gospel has infused in you. It's not what God has called you to. He said this, he says, that old way is being corrupted by its, I love this phrase, deceitful desires. Ever had that? A deceitful desire. You know what that is? It's a desire that you chase after even though you know better. Right? That's a deceitful desire. The desire that you keep going after, trying to uh, to grab hold of, trying to to uh, to reach out and acquire, 
even though inside of you, you know better. And then what happens is this. You get that which that desire is pushing you toward. You grab hold of it, you have it, and you end up finding out it didn't satisfy you as much as you thought. And then you know what that deceitful desire says? It leans over and whispers, next time. Next time. It'll satisfy. And all of a sudden it begins to rise itself up in you and you find yourself chasing after it again. And going, even though you know you shouldn't go, and you grab it, hold of it, and it doesn't satisfy, and it says, next time. Maybe just a little different, but next time. And he's saying, listen, that, that's the old way. That's not you anymore. That's not what you're about. That's not what you should be. That's not what you're chasing after. Come on. I know what the culture is around you. And I know what you grew up in, but you know, you know what God has called you to Set your sight on that and chase after that. Verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Created, remember, remember I said this whole culture was about you got to be God, you got to be God. Look what he says. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, oh, I know everything about you is about getting power and wealth and and influence and, and lording it out of people so you can be a God, you can be like God. He's like, listen, that's not how you be like God at all. You're already starting to be like God. Here's how you become like God. You want to become like God? I'll tell you how to become like God. This, you begin to put on God's character. You begin to treat people and, and view people the way God wants you to treat them. God would treat them the way God views them. When you begin to put on the compassion and the love and grace and the way you treat people, that's when you become like God. When you begin to put on God's character of integrity and honesty and, and, and a heart for those who are in need, when you begin to put on those attributes of the character of God, that's when you become God-like. Not when you have power and wealth and lord it over people. That is a stone God you're talking about. You want to be like God? Then chase after the things that, God, that the gospel has called you to. Then that's when you, are, you end up becoming like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's just, come on, come on, come on. He's saying, I know the culture you live in. I know what you face every day. And I know how easy it would be for you just to fall back into who you used to be. How many times have you seen that? I've seen it so many times in my life. People who come out of a rough background and they begin to chase after Christ and they begin to chase after Jesus. And then some of them, they just keep running and it's such an incredible story of a life change. But I can tell you stories where people, this is, they were right here. They were the people of Ephesus. They, where they came out of, it, they've been radically changed by that and they, keep, they start moving forward and then they fall back. They put on that, that, old, that old coat again. They put on that old self again and they just kind of fall back because that's what's easy. And Paul started out saying, this is, I tell you this, and this is what I insist on in the Lord. He's saying, listen, this is what I call you to. I know it'd be so easy just to fall back into the, the way of the culture that you were raised in. But listen, you are called to something better. You are called to something different. You are called to be reflectors, not of your culture. You are called to be 
not conformed to your culture. You are called to be different. You're called to be people who put on the character of God and reflect that in your family and reflect that in your relationships and reflect that in your workplace and reflect that with your interactions with other people. That's what you've been called to do. And that's what I'm calling you to do. So Paul just, these people who, who were so radically changed and there's so many things in their life that could pull them back. He's saying, I am not lowering the bar of what, the, what God asks of you. I'm not lowering the bar of what the gospel has called you to. And then he began to tells us what we are to do. What that looks like. He kind of calls us into action now. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Let me stop right there. First, the word unwholesome there. That word is the uh, Greek word uh, uh, separos. It is a word which means rotting or smelly. It was the word that was used to refer to fish that had gotten on the shore. Maybe it died in the water, washed up on the shore, and it was rotting and decaying. Ever been to the beach, St. Simon's, 30A, somewhere in, in, a, in a, some type of sea creature, some type of large sea animal, uh, fish or whatever, has been washed up on the shore and it's set there and it just begins to rot and how much it stinks. When we go to Guatemala, uh, there is an area one day when we go to Antigua that we go and buy all the fake stuff. You know, you can buy fake everything there. You know that. And there's an area that it's, uh, that you, that's kind of the church area. There's a little area next to it that it's kind of for the people of Guatemala. And we tell people, don't go in there. There's, it's a dangerous place to go. Don't go in there. So we don't go in there. But every now and then we need something from that area. And so we will go, I will go, somebody will go. And say, every now and I'll take some people with us. And whenever I'll go there, into the, the other marketplace, and it's all real close, real tight, and you're walking in here, and there's kind of, it's not inside, but all the little booths kind of go in there, so you feel like you're inside. I always want to say, I always tell Ben, our, our, our guy, I say, hey, take us by the meat market, and you, will, you can tell when you're getting close. You begin to go by, and it's just these open-air things of meat. There's no refrigeration. There's no bug control. There's just these hanging things of meat all over the place, you can hardly stand the stench as you walk through. And I've been there several times, and it still just turns my stomach when you walk through. It's just rotting flesh is what it is. And that's the word that is used here for unwholesome. That's the word that he pulled out uh, of their word, their vocabulary to use don't let this rotty, smelly words come out of your mouth. Don't have fish breath, basically, is what he's saying. <laughs> words that are corrupt. And you know why I think he uses that word? It's because Paul knows something that I absolutely believe as well. He doesn't say it here, but I, I believe this is what he knows and what I, I believe is true. I, God has put a nose not only on our face, but he's put a nose in our, in our, in our soul. And this nose has the ability to just smell the stench of things that are not right. Even when we're doing them. I mean, there's some things in your life, you're gonna, this is true, isn't it? There's something in your life that you're doing and you know you shouldn't be doing, but you're doing it anyway, maybe because you want to, maybe you feel like you have to, whatever, but you just know it's not right and you just, that, that nose in your, in, your, in, the, in your soul just smells how rotten what you're doing. It just smells the stench of what you're doing. Sometimes you're saying things that you know you shouldn't be saying 
you know, their gossipy words or their demeaning words or their, their hurtful words or their angry words and their, you know, their, their words, and you know you shouldn't be saying them. But you are. Maybe because you're mad or maybe because it just feels good in the moment. Maybe it's because it's juicy. You know, the Bible talks about how morsels of gossip, uh, gossip is like a morsel of food. They taste good when they go down sometimes. You know, maybe it's just because that moment they taste good, but at that very moment that you're doing it and even enjoying it, there's that nose within your core of your soul that smells the rottenness what you're doing. I believe Paul uses that word because he knows this is true about us. That when we say words that are coming out of our life, saying them, writing them, posting them, no matter... What we may feel in the moment, we may feel, you know, we're angry or we enjoy it or it's you know, juicy, guys, whatever. But in that moment, that nose knows that the, what we're doing is just rotten and smelly. And it's like he's saying, when, you got, when you're at that moment and you want to say some words, as James said, you're always going to have that struggle. When those moments where you want to say those things, listen to the nose of your soul. Because it will be the one to say, this stinks. But I have a right to say, no, it doesn't matter whether you have a right. This stinks. I'm saying when you get that moment, do not let those kind of words, those stinky, smelly, rotten words flow out of your life. I like how he says, do not let. In other words, he says, listen, it's your responsibility. I'm laying at the feet of you. You don't let it. Don't sit there and say, well, I was angry. Or, well, I was hurt. Or, well, I was drunk. Or, well, I was high. Or, well, you know, this or that. Listen, listen. Don't lay the excuse anywhere else. You're responsible for what you let out of your mouth. You're responsible for what you write. You're responsible for what you post. You do not let those stinky, rotten, smelly talk come out of your mouth. You are responsible. You see, a lot of times we try to get around this. By saying, well, what I said was true. That is a, that is a low bar. And that is a bar that's, that, that even the nose inside of you know stinks. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. That's not the bar in which we go to. Listen, what if I found something extremely embarrassing, hurtful to you, and I went around and told it to everybody else, but it was true. Would that be okay? If I just gossip, gossip, gossip all about you, but everything I said was true, would that be okay? No, it wouldn't be okay. You know it wouldn't be okay. The bar of, well, it's true, is too low of a bar. It's not whether it's true or not. It's whether it is stinky or smelly. That's the bar. He says, do not let, you take responsibility for your mouth. Do not let this stinky, smelly, rotten talk come out of your mouth. And he goes on to say, but only what is helpful for the building others up according to, listen to this phrase, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, who listen a couple things he says there notice that he says your words that come out of your mouth are to build people up and and what words you choose to let come out are are according to their needs think about that because most of the time the words that we say we write we post we do it according to what we think our need is in that moment i just need to say this i need to get this off my chest i i think i i i just you know i need to Put them in their place. I need to give them a piece of my mind. I just need to say this. Most of the time, the words that come out of our mouth, the standard that we're using is what I feel I need 
Most of the time it's what I want to do. But the standard that we use is based upon what I need. But, but he says here, only what is building up, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Paul says, it isn't about you. It isn't about what you think you need to say. It doesn't say, hey, you say what according to what you feel you need. He says, no, no, no. The words that come out of your mouth, here's the standard that you use. Is it what they need, really need to hear in this moment that would build them up? The words that you're about to say, the words that you should say, the words that you could say, post, write, whatever, are they words that, they, that would help them become a better version of them? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should all be Mr. Rogers, right? And just a beautiful day in the neighborhood and be positive and neat and nice. No, what I am saying is this. For some of you, this does mean for you to dial it down. We don't need to hear everything you think you need to say. We don't. And if you can't justify that it will build people up and help them out in becoming who God has created them to be, just keep your mouth shut. Just because you think it doesn't mean everybody else needs to hear it. Just because you want to say it doesn't mean the rest of us would benefit from it. And some of you, what this verse means, you need to dial it down. But I'm not saying that, it's, that, that strong words don't ever need to be said. Sometimes what is needed in that other person's life is a strong word. But there it goes to the other part of that. We are to say it in a way, what? To build them up. Maybe they need a strong word. According to their needs, they need a strong word, but we need to say it in the ways that build them up. How do you do that? You say, I'm gonna, I need to really say something. They need to hear this strong word. So what do I do? I need to find a time where it's just them and I. I need to find a way that I can get with them and make sure that I'm in a right attitude to where I will hear what they have to say. Because remember what we said at the very beginning, what we all want is to be heard. Where I will hear what they have to say because they'll never really hear what I have to say until they feel I've heard them. And so I'm going to find the right place and the right time to share this tough, hard word with them. Because sometimes we need to hear a hard word. But we need to hear it in a way that builds them Oh, you see, in the end, our words are like a hammer. You know, a hammer can be used to build the most magnificent of homes. But a hammer can also be used to create tremendous destruction. And our words are like that. Our words can be used to build people up. Our words can be used to tear people down. And we don't use them correctly. Look what it says in verse 30, the next verse. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What he's saying is this. When you use your words in a way that don't build people up, when your standard is not, what do they need to hear in this moment? What would really be beneficial for them at this moment? When, when that's not our standard and we just say what we want to say because it's all about what we want. He says there's, you know what, he says you, you grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he says, sometimes the Holy Spirit looks at you and goes, come on, come on. I am in this person's life, and I am working to bring, maybe it's a lost, but I'm working to bring them to the gospel. Or, 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 or not, maybe a Christian, everybody's, I'm working to bring God's purpose to their life. I'm working to infuse God's care to life. I'm working to really take this person and transform them who they are now to be more like me, to be more like the Father. That's my work. And you step in and say something that, that is destructive. Say something that will, that will go inside of them, and they'll remember, and they'll hold on. You are working against me. Come on. 
I might expect that from someone who does not know me, but you know me. I'm in you. I'm working. I'm calling you to the same thing that I'm calling them. And you're not working with me. You're working against me. Come on. And when we're careless with our words and we just say what we want to say and, and they come off our lips and we forget them 30 minutes later, but they're written, that person remembers them for the rest of their life, that's when we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit looks at me and goes, what are you doing? Are you working with me? Or you're working against me. Because I'm trying to get this person to be more like Christ. And you're not helping me at all. The last thing I'd ever want. Is for my words that come out of my mouth. To be something where the spirit of God has to say come on. Work with me in this person's life. Don't work against me. And then Paul shifts. And kind of tells us where all the rotten smelly words in our life come from. He says this in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. He's saying, listen, this is where negative, sarcastic, Cutting painful words that wound people. This is where they come from. They don't come from that person. They come from your heart. He's just saying the words are just simply a reflection of what's going on inside of you. That's what they are. Now, regardless of what that other person does or says or hey, listen, your response, your verbal response to whatever they are or do, listen, that is all about, first and foremost, what's happening inside of you than it is what is happening with them. And that's why he says, get rid of these things. Because if you're going to have better words, you've got to have a better heart. And he goes to anger and uh, malice bitterness and all these kind of things because when that's going on inside of you listen that that ends up tainting every word that comes out of your mouth and there's some people in your life that are paying for unaddressed anger and bitterness in your heart you know that there's people that are around you and they may not even be the people that caused your anger and bitterness but they're paying for it because the condition of your heart is always going to taint the quality of your words and when there is unaddressed ungodliness and, 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 and ugliness in your life, that affects the words that come out of your mouth. Maybe they're not angry words. They're just words of not great wisdom. And the people around you, the people around me, what, what I need from the people that are in my life, here's what I need from them. And this is what the people around you need from you. Here's what I need from the people that are around me. I need them to be working on their hearts and working on, on their character and their godliness in life. I need them to be honest with God about their hearts, because here's what I know. When they are honest with God about their hearts, then the words that come out of their mouth directed in my direction will have greater uh, level of wisdom. And let me tell you what I constantly need more of in my life is wisdom. Because when I gain greater wisdom, I make better decisions. The same is true for the people in your life. They need you. To deal with the things in your heart because the words that come out of your mouth and the content of the words that come out of your mouth are directly reflective of what's going on in your heart. And if it's anger and bitterness and those kinds of things, well then you'll have more angry words and cutting words and sarcastic words come out of your mouth. And that's why he says here, hey, you need to forgive. Not whether they deserve their forgiveness or not. 
That's not the standard. Not whether they've asked for it or not. No, here's the standard. Forgive just as Christ God forgave you. That's the standard. He forgave you whether you deserved it or asked for it or earned it. Because you see, you've got to deal with your heart. Because your heart, your words are always going to reflect your heart. You've got to deal with your heart. Because you can't make people better around you if you're bitter. You can't. You've got to deal with your heart so that there's more godliness than foolishness there. More, more godly character and godly depth and godly wisdom in your heart so that the words that come out of your mouth cause people to go, yeah, because they're saturated with wisdom. So Paul talks about how we should live and the main talking about how we should live is we should look at the words that come out of our mouth and he says, you want better words? Here's where you start. You start at your heart because your words are just going to reflect what's there. The more bitter that's there, the more bitter your words. The, the more wisdom that is there, the more wis- wise your words. The less wisdom that is there, the more foolish will be the content of your words. So, I ask you a couple things. Where do you have work to do in your heart? Where do you have work to do in your heart? And, and I guess the thing I want you to take away is it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about getting you a place where you say the right thing more often. It's not just looking at your heart so that you can become a better person. It's about looking at your heart and, and knowing where you need to work on. Know where God is saying right here, this is what we got to address. We need to stop ignoring it. We got to address here. It's not just so that you can be a better person but it's so that you can give the people around you better words to live by. That's what it's about. So where do you need to do some work? And maybe this question is more pointed. And who wishes in your life you would get to work on it? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your children. Maybe it's the people in your workplace, but I guarantee you, they may not even know it, but there are people that sure would wish you'd get to work on what you need to get to work on in your heart. Some of them may know it. Some of them may be in your home and in friendship with you and relationship with you, and they're just like, God, please, please. I need them to work on their heart to get a place that I'm not the receiver of these kind of words. It's not just stop saying those words. It's about repairing and replacing and renewing the heart that's what it's about there might but i tell you what at the very least there's a lot of people around you that don't even know it but they what they wish is that you would work on this heart they would wish that you would discover where you need to work in your heart right now and get to work on it because there are people around you that are struggling in their life and what they need more than anything they need a wise word can you give them that can you give them a wise word it's all about what's going on in the heart can you give them some words that have some depth to it it's all about what's going on in the heart because you can you can read a lot of stuff and you can attain a lot of information but that doesn't automatically transfer into wisdom wisdom is comes down to what is going on in the heart so who in your life is wishing that you would be honest with yourself and god about the things you need to work on in your heart There are no shortcuts around this. You want better words, you work to get a better heart. And why this is so 
incredibly important is that it makes the determination what you're going to use the hammer of your words for. Whether you're going in this world and you will use your words and become Bob the builder in other people's lives or whether you will go use your words and be Dan the destroyer because you're going to be one of the two. 